Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Exploring Astrophysics, and happy holidays to everyone. Today I am joined by Dr. Gina Panopolo, an observational astrophysicist at Caltech, who specializes in mapping out the magnetic field of our galaxy. So how did you become involved with astrophysics, and what was your journey up to it? Yeah, classic question. When I was in high school, we had to do this project. And they told us you can do whatever kind of project you like. I said, I will do a project on the solar system. That's how it started, really. I just got interested in the solar system. And then I liked physics. And then I went to university because I really knew I wanted to study physics. And there I've learned about astrophysics more and figured out, hey, this is pretty cool. So yeah, it was a step-by-step, piecewise increase of my interest in astrophysics, more or less. In university, you came in with an interest of physics, right? And what kinds of things did you experience, do, learn about that sort of made you choose astrophysics specifically? Um, Yeah, I was already interested in astrophysics, but other fields of physics as well. I watched documentaries, I read ocular science books on cosmology and beginnings of the universe and stuff like that. I think the there were courses that were interesting, learning about how stars grow and evolve and the basics of cosmology. So I think one by one, the courses I was taking pushed me to take another course on astrophysics because it's you can choose. It's not a... In the physics department I was in, you can choose whatever courses you like. There are some quantum mechanics you have to do, electrodynamics you have to do, but astrophysics was just one of the different course series so yeah just kept going and going yeah so could you maybe go into a little bit about what sort of work you've been doing and what questions you've been trying to answer in astrophysics through the research that you've been doing yeah so I started off with understanding the initial conditions of star formation so we know that stars form in these dense and mysterious clouds in the interstellar medium, which is just a fancy word for the stuff between stars. Mm-hmm. So in the interiors of galaxies, the space between stars is full of matter, full of gas. And this gas sort of condenses under different forces. Gravity is a key player there. So you start looking at how these clouds form and how they eventually develop these pockets where stars are born. Mm-hmm. And one of the key unknowns there is another force that exists and exerts its presence on the gas, which is the magnetic field. And galaxies have magnetic fields. It's not just Earth and the sun and other um, bodies in the universe. So I started to specialize on the effects of the magnetic field and how it could change the process of star formation And eventually I got interested into the magnetic field itself and not just how it affects stars. So now that's a change in direction that I'm doing, studying magnetic fields for their own sake on larger and larger scales within galaxies. Okay, that's really cool. So magnetic fields, obviously we can't observe them directly, right? So how are you able to sense the presence of a magnetic field and understand how it sort of propagates and how can you do you use that in some simulations to then see how it affects as you were saying the evolution of stars or how exactly do you use that yeah exactly magnetic fields are really hard to observe and also to model you typically in if you have a problem you solve the simple part where it's just 
gravity and hydrodynamics is a little bit more complicated, but then if you add magnetic fields, your system sort of changes nature. Let's say it's even a higher level of complexity. So yeah, I, I study magnetic fields primarily observationally. So the way we can measure magnetic fields is actually kind of involved. You can't just use your <laughs> simple instruments on the telescope, the, the typical cameras or the typical spectrometers. You have to use polarimeters because magnetic fields actually interact with light and they alter the this third property of light, which is its polarization. So light has brightness, it has color, wavelength, and it also has polarization, which is right the state of the plane of oscillation of the electric field and magnetic field right, in the light ray. So polarization is the answer to your question. We sort of use polarimeters specially designed to, to measure the polarization of light that's emitted or absorbed by this interstellar medium where the magnetic field lives in. Okay, that seems really complicated. You were saying it's the axis or something to do with the way the wavelength of light is aligned. Isn't that like a 2D property as in it doesn't have three dimensions? So how can you infer a three-dimensional property like a magnetic field from unobserved it's probably not 2d but if it is 2d then how would you be able to extrapolate that, that makes wow sense. you just got to like the cutting edge of our field so exactly that's the problem that we're trying to solve we have these observations that are two-dimensional light emitted by these interstellar medium clouds that is polarized because of the presence of the magnetic field and or light absorbed light from stars that's absorbed by dust grains that are interacting with the magnetic field so all of the observables that we have give you two-dimensional information on the plane of the sky. Mm-hmm. And we are supposed to, we would like to recover the three-dimensional properties of the magnetic field, this thing that permeates the entirety of our galaxy. And that's really what my research is about now and what other people around the world are trying to achieve. It's a weird inverse problem that you have to solve, a reconstruction problem. So you have incomplete data, sparse data that you have to figure out smart algorithms that can invert the process of going from a 3D field to these 2D projections that we're observing with our telescopes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of algorithm development involved in trying to solve this problem of mapping for the first time the magnetic field of our galaxy in, in three dimensions. Mm-hmm. So once you have some sort of a map, are you able to tell how accurate you are? These are hard to observe. So how, how, how are you able to tell how close you are, what needs improving, or like how are you, yeah, how are you able to get that kind of information? Yeah, that in general is a hard question to answer when you're doing research, right? Because you don't know the answer to the question that you're posing. So mm-hmm. the best thing we can do is create models that we think capture the correct statistical properties of the magnetic field in the galaxy and apply the same tools on these theoretical models as we're doing on the observations. And so if you test the tools on a data set that you know the answer and you can measure its accuracy, and then you can say more or less, if my model is capturing the complexity of the real system, then this should be my accuracy as well. And by models, basically simulations, right? You must have heard about numerical simulations where you try to simulate your universe or your galaxy in, in, in the computer, basically. 
So yeah, there's a bunch of people across the world that have very intricate simulations with galaxies that actually look like the galaxies that we observe in terms of how many stars they have, how many stars they're forming, how, how much gas they have, and all these other properties. And magnetic fields are just one of the uh, different things that are added in these simulations that we can use to test our Okay, yeah. The, in these simulations, the magnetic fields that you're testing against, we don't know if they're what's out there because we won't be able to tell. Okay, so do you think there's any chance in the future we would develop some sort of method or imagery to be able to observe these magnetic fields in some way or another? Or is this all still hard to observe even in the Yeah, to really get full 3D information, you can get partial 3D information with the method I can talk to you about later. But to get really full 3D vector field, that's going to be impossible. Yeah. You'd have to send out a probe <laughs> Yeah. to far distant solar systems and then observe uh, with telescopes there. And then you can have um, two eyes looking at the same galaxy from different perspectives, and then you can do a better job. But that's going to be far in the future. Yeah, this is work that's done on other galaxies, right? Not our own galaxy. Oh, we're trying to do it for our own galaxy. Yeah, because in our own galaxy, we have actually the best possible resolution we're in it which also complicates the problem a lot because you're, if you're inside the galaxy nearby things and far away things may look like they're nearby on the sky but they're uh -huh. really far away um but yeah so we're trying to reconstruct the magnetic field of our own galaxy starting from nearby the sun within say a thousand solar sorry a thousand light years ish and mm -hmm. then we can try to make it bigger and bigger as we go okay that's cool so one thing that I was thinking about is when we do parallax, we look at the same part of a sky at two different places as the Earth goes around the sun. Is that something that's viable here? As in you, you'd have two different perspectives looking at the same area? Or is it not, is it not an analogy that can be made with magnetic fields? Yeah, that's a very good question. We, there are two, two aspects <laughs> to this question that I wanted to put in. So first off, we are actually using parallax information. So the stars that we're observing acquire a polarization. They have a polarization that traces the magnetic field and the intervening gas from the star to ourselves, to our telescope. And so these stars actually have now a measured pair. So you can infer the distance to these stars because of an awesome mission that Gaia, that ESA and the European Space Agency have put out, which is called Gaia. And so we're using this information of the distance to the star, a tomographic view of the magnetic field, tomography in, in, the, in your hospital or something, where you can slice up the information, in this case of the magnetic field in distant chunks. So we're using that kind of information, parallax of the stars. But to measure parallax in actually the interstellar medium, the gas that's tied to this magnetic field is really hard. Mm -hmm. For stars, you have this point source that's very accurately resolved, right? And you can see that same star from these two positions of the Earth across its orbit. For gas, unless it's a very, very dense pocket of gas, it's really hard. To, it's, it's a diffuse medium. There's no one point that you can fix upon. And also, the motions of the gas are really slow. So 
the typical timescales are like mega years. So even if we could find this one thing that's very easy to focus on, like a pocket of very dense gas, it would be a pretty, pretty slow process to measure its hot spots. I think it can be done and might have been done in like very extreme cases in, inside dense star forming regions. But for the general diffuse ISM that we're looking at, I don't think it's possible. Okay, cool. Just going back a little bit. So you mentioned pol polarimetry, not really sure how to pronounce that. So how exactly do those sensors work? How are they able to tell the orientation of the light? What's the physics behind it? Yeah. So let's start imagining that light is like a, it's a wave. Imagine like you have this, I know what I will say for your <laughs> listeners. Imagine you have this rope, piece of rope that you're, it's attached at one point to a wall or something. And your other, the other end of the rope is loose in your hand. And you're oscillating your hand up and down, making waves in this rope. So take a still shot of that. That is our electromagnetic field. That is our light wave. Um, the, depending on the motion, the, I, I can move my hand right and left. I can also move it up and down. I can move it also 45 degrees with respect to the up and down direction, right? So that plane in which... I'm oscillating my rope. The plane of oscillation of the field is what we call a plane of polarization. And in reality, the way we can detect this direction of oscillation of the electromagnetic field is if we use something like sunglasses. If we use a filter that only allows one direction of light to pass through and the others to not pass through. Mm -hmm. So if you use polarized sunglasses, you can see the difference, right? If rotate your head one way or the other, do it on a sunny day, wearing your sunglasses, you will see the shading of the light. If you're looking at the sky is gonna change depending on how you rotate your head. So we use fancy versions of polarizing sunglasses on our telescopes is the basic idea to measure the quality of the light. Is that similar to diffraction gratings? Cause I remember seeing something about that and seeing that as you turn the grating in a circle, the lights only let in at certain points where the slits in the grating line up with the wavelength of light. That's a really good point. Yeah. So actually, some of the instruments we use do use grate for this, for this exact reason. It can act as a polarizing filter, but that's not the only way you can use it. You can also use, yeah, there are, so polarization gratings is one. You can also use, there's this property of, you might have read about this, there's a crystal for many crystals. One crystal in particular is called quartz and quartz has this property where if you shine light on it, one polarization is going to go faster than the other. So you'll end up with two different beams and oh. if you put in one beam through that crystal. And so if you can use that crystal to split up your polarization states, you can also do a measurement of the polarization. So that's another way that you can filter out these differently polarized states. But yeah. Okay, cool. So for my last question, it's sort of an open-ended one. The people listening to this podcast, specifically high schoolers who may be interested in astrophysics, do you have any advice for them? What kinds of things would you suggest they maybe look at or look into to get an early start? Yeah. So the internet is now full of information about astrophysics. I'm super excited. This is a very good era to be interested in astrophysics. 10, 20 years ago, you read books. There was the occasional TV documentary. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think 
now there is no, no lack of information. In fact, it's actually, I think the problem is the opposite. It's not finding the information, it's just filtering it out. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So what information should you focus on? Um, and I think there, there are a lot of, lot of u- cool YouTube channels I would point folks at. I've spoken on the Caltech Astronomy Open Lecture Series for the public. I would recommend that because we have a bunch of good talks. But yeah, there's, I will think of other <laughs> examples and send them to you later. There's thing that came to mind. Okay, great. Thank you again for speaking to me. This was really interesting. I learned a lot more about, I didn't even know a galaxy could have a magnetic field. So that's really cool. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Vikram. This was very fun.